Hi, it's Dave. Today we have a special live stream and we're going to be talking about the latest news that has just come out regarding Elon Musk. And he has、um, tested positive, but also negative, on these rapid antigen、uh, COVID tests last yesterday. And today he's been waiting for the more accurate PCR test for COVID. Um, I want to dive into this and look at it from different angles and look at the different implications that it has. And I know this is a very, very touchy subject. And I know that、um, it could be triggering actually for some people because, in a lot of ways, when I talk about COVID, you know, there are so many different political views and、um, approaches to it that it has become a very political issue. Also, when I talk about the possibility, let's say, of Elon possibly dying. This is also another very touchy subject. And、um, a lot of people can be triggered with you know, this talk of death.、Um, you know, people have lost loved ones even recently, perhaps even to COVID. So I understand、um, the sensitive nature of this topic. And so,、um, but the reason why I think it's important to dive into this topic is because this is one of the central, kind of unique parts of Tesla. And More specifically, their reliance on such a visionary person like Elon Musk and what he brings to the company. And I think it's、um, not a great habit to just try to discount risk all the time and to just assume that everything is going to be okay because we want it to be okay.、And、I think we need to look at some of these issues that、um, these concerns like Elon getting COVID bring. And so <clears throat> I want to start out and、uh, welcome all my live stream viewers right now. If you can go ahead and give me a thumbs up if you could you know, hear my voice okay. Also,、um, this live stream is part of kind of my stream of consciousness kind of approach with my channel. And I'm sharing these thoughts right now. And my thoughts can change over time. Plus, Elon Musk could be tweeting out at this moment、um, saying he doesn't have COVID, right?、Um, or he could be tweeting out just in a minute or two saying that he has confirmed COVID. And who knows what will happen in a few days or a week or a month, right? And that's the, that's the thing, that's the nature of change in society. And so my thoughts are evolving, but I want to share these thoughts with you guys because I, I think it's important to.、Uh, Think clearly and to see things from as from many perspectives as possible so we can gauge and try to、um, see what is accurate in terms of、um, what is objective. All right,、um, I want to share a, a story first off.、Uh, thanks for all the thumbs up. <clears throat> so last night,、um, I found out that you know, Elon had tested positive at least two times for COVID on these antigen tests. And then I went into I, I was working in my RV and we're back at our house in Southern California. So I was going back into the house. And I went to my wife, and my wife had this kind of look of dismay on her face. And she was like, Oh my gosh, right? I'm like, Oh, you heard about Elon, right? And she's like, Yes. And she was kind of emotional and kind of、uh, very worried. And she's like, So what does this mean? And I looked at her and I said,、um, It means Elon is going to live or he's going to die. And And she's like, What are you talking about? <laughs> and I go, Well, it comes down to, I mean, if he has COVID,、um, he's either going to live, he's going to be fine, or you know, he's going to die and it's going to have a big impact on Tesla. And I know a lot of people will just kind of look at me and say, Hey, that's cold, right? Thinking and like that. But in some ways, like, and I'm taking a, a role of an investor right now, I'm highly invested in a company like Tesla. And the chances are that Elon does live and Elon will be fine. And we can debate the, 
probabilities of that scenario, but it is very high that Elon is completely fine. He completely recovers、um, from COVID. First off, Elon is、um, 49 years old, and so he's still on the younger spectrum. And it doesn't seem like he has you know, some grave、um, pre existing conditions right now. And he also has access to a lot of the best healthcare that he would want to or he could access if he chooses to. And so,、um, on many sides, You know, I think to be overly concerned, for example, saying, oh my gosh, Elon's going to die, Elon's going to die, that I think is overboard. Because if you look at just the objective statistics out there,、um, chances are, in a very, very high likelihood and probability, Elon's going to be fine. And the chances are, in a few weeks, you know, we're going to move on, you know, and this won't be an issue at all. However, <clears throat> on the flip side, there is still that small or slight possibility that. A worst case scenario happens that Elon, let's say,、uh, comes down very sick and the sickness progresses.、Um, and there could be various paths、um, regarding that. But、um, in the unfortunate case that, let's say, Elon does die,、um, we need to look at that situation. And my personal、um, thought is I think a lot of times <clears throat> when people don't look at the scenario of, for example, Elon being out of the picture, I think what happens is they tend to just overly optimistically or naively view the future, saying, oh, it doesn't matter, right? Everything will be fine because they want it to be fine. Let's say they have a large position in Tesla and they're like, I don't want to think about you know, Elon you know, not being around and he's going to be around. And if he's not, it's going to be fine. But let's take a, a bigger a, or a, a, a deeper look at this situation, this issue. I think with Tesla, Elon plays an outsized role in his career. Capacity with Tesla more so than almost any other CEO out there. I think it's because Tesla、um, relies on Elon. Elon was the heart and the vision of Tesla. And without Elon, Tesla would not have been able to get to the place that it is right now. And Elon is such a unique character in that he has such ambition and such focus. And he really is able to galvanize the entire Tesla team around the mission that he puts forth for the company. I think realistically, <clears throat> um, if something suddenly and this, let's say, COVID perhaps you know, progresses and it leads to an unfortunate situation, I think it's very likely that Tesla, the stock in the short term, could lose a lot of value. Now, how much value? I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of that value depends on how much. Big money is viewing this as a not just significant risk, but as a deterioration of fundamentals, right? A deterioration of the future of the company. Now, I think, you know, Tesla could lose anywhere from probably 20 to 50% of its current value,、um, let's say based on a $400 billion market cap. But also, what's interesting is I think Tesla loses a lot of value 10 years out. And <clears throat> I know that. Uh, Tesla has a lot of things already in place. And I'm going to go into that in a, in a little bit. But a lot of what Elon brings to the table is this out of the box thinking where he could literally come up with you know, billion dollar, if not trillion dollar business opportunities out of the fly. And he's able to take risks that other people aren't able to do. And that ability for a CEO to Have that and to lead a company always gives this extra value to the company where the company can be in trouble, but 
you know, it can always come out of that trouble because the CEO is going to make it happen. And I think without Elon in the picture, Tesla's value 10 years out um, is perhaps up to half or maybe even more than half of what it could be if he was CEO, let's say 10 years out. Now, a lot of people might disagree with me on that, but I think that's how much um, value that Elon brings to Tesla as a company. Now, what Elon brings is he brings... Um, a lot of problem solving. Like he will solve the biggest problems, the most difficult problems. He brings execution. He will sleep on the factory floor, floor if he needs to. He brings ambition. If you've ever been to the Nevada Gigafactory, I suggest if you can get a tour, get a tour. This thing is immense. The amount of ambition required and risk that Elon is willing to take to meet the mission, right, he puts out forward is amazing. And I don't think there's a ton of people, right, that are able to bring all of those um uh, traits all together um, together I think <clears throat> on the flip side you have Elon has placed and Tesla has placed a lot of products and plans in in motion for many years to come so let's take a look at some of these things first off Tesla has learned how to make factories really well and really efficiently right and I mean their Fremont kind of expansion, also Nevada Gigafactory expansion was kind of bumpy, you know, to say the least. But ever since they, you know, rolled out Shanghai, now it's rolling out Berlin and Austin, Tesla is getting really, really good at making amazing factories really, really fast and scaling production. And that's, um, yeah, that's a great place to be. Second, they have battery plants, right? Their battery pl plants have been already you know, developed over the past several years. And the next several years of battery developments are already in motion. This isn't stuff that's going to change just because Elon's out of the picture. This is stuff that's going to go into motion, right, for the next several years. Look at autonomous driving and robo-taxi plans. This stuff has been going on for many, many years. They have competent teams in place, competent management in place. And this stuff is happening, right, with or without Elon. Um, Tesla is moving forward with autonomous driving and they're executing very well. Look at the Model 2. This Model 2, I think, is probably more than halfway already designed and all of the pieces are already coming together and this happens. Uh, Cybertruck, right? This is happening. The Tesla Semi, all of this stuff, even without Elon, these things go on because Tesla has been working on these things and it, it takes a huge amount of effort. It's kind of like an iceberg where there's all this foundation of work that's underneath the surface that has to happen that people just don't see. And Tesla and Elon and his team have put in an immense amount of work into all of these products and services and these plans for the future. And um, this is a good sign. This is showing that Tesla is in a very different place than they were just, let's say, three or four years ago. Tesla is in a place where they have so many mat more mature product lines and teams and plans ahead that... Um, yeah, it's hard to bet against Tesla, um, even at this time, even if, let's say, something terrible happens to Elon. Now, what's also interesting about all these products is they're tackling amazingly huge markets, right? If you look at the robo-taxi network, if you look at the battery factories, if you look at um, vehicles, if you look at energy storage, these are very, very attractive, in a sense, blue ocean type of products and markets, meaning these markets are wide open, right? Autonomous driving, like, where is that market right now? It just doesn't really exist, right? Look at energy storage. It's a, it's, it's a new market, right, that's expanding. Even solar roof. All of these markets are just in a way in its infancy. And that's um, also good news for Tesla. I think it, it would be different if, let's say, 
Elon, something terrible happened to Elon three or four years ago when Tesla was still in a place where they were putting a lot of these things into motion, still building the foundation um, for a lot of these things. Um, if that was the case, then it's possible that the foundation could not have been built fully or um, there could have been a big, let's say, detour and damage to the foundation. However, I think since we're in the year 2020 and there's been so much progress over the years with all these foundational efforts with Tesla, um, I think even without Elon, Tesla survives and does pretty well. I think it's better if Elon stays around. And I believe in my personal opinion, it's much, much better for Tesla and the world for Elon because he brings so much to the table in terms of ambition and the ability to push the envelope to stick to the mission. Now, I want to talk about one more thing that I think is crucial to understanding what could happen to Tesla after, let's say, you know, post, let's say, an Elon Musk type of era. So <clears throat> I think for Elon, one of the most important things that he's done actually in Tesla has is that he's instilled a very clear and specific mission in Tesla, but also in his other companies like SpaceX. For Tesla specifically, it's to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. And that mission of Tesla that Tesla has given or Elon has given to Tesla is super, super focused. It's super, super clear. And in the company, everything revolves around that mission. So the mission for Tesla to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy is something that all decisions go through, that all management you know, think about within their decision-making process. And so the question is, A, will this decision help us accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy, even accelerate it by just one day, right? If it can accelerate it by one day, by one month, by one year, then it's worth it, right, to make that decision. Now, this type of focused mission is very, very powerful because it gives kind of a, a criteria and a framework for people to make decisions, not just to make decisions, but to be able to have certain goals to reach. I'll give you, a, 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 I want to say a counter example, but let's say a different example. This past week, Apple announced um, their new M1 chip and their new laptop line of custom Apple Silicon. And Tim Cook was saying that, A, this Apple's mission uh, to make meaningful products to improve people's lives. And so if you unpack that mission statement, Apple is making meaningful products to improve people's lives. Like, I'm not going to say that's a terrible mission statement because, yeah, you want to make meaningful products improve, people live, improve people's lives. But if you compare it to Tesla's mission, Tesla's mission is much more specific. It's much more focused, right? It's much more quantifiable, right? Can you accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy by 5%, by 1%, by one day, right? And there's a certain moment in time, there's a goal when the world has transitioned to sustainable energy. It's a reachable goal. It's a quantifiable goal. So in that sense, Tesla's mission, in my opinion, is a far more powerful and focused mission than even what Apple has. And because of that, even if, let's say, something terrible happens to Elon, in a way, the mission of Tesla becomes sort of his replacement. I'm not going to say it re completely replaces Elon because he can't be replaced completely. But yet the mission helps keep the company focused. It helps keep the company executing. It helps keep the key management right intact right and in line. And Sure, some management might leave the company, but I would imagine most of the key management is going to stay in the company because they believe in the mission. In fact, I think a lot of the key management actually are more aligned with the mission than, let's say, with 
Elon himself, meaning that they could have some personality, you know, conflict. They might not completely jive with how Elon does certain things, but the key management in Tesla is there and they stay there because they believe in the mission, right? And that's what keeps Elon there as well. Even if key management leaves, other people can take their place because the mission of Tesla is so unique. What other companies out there are really making a seismic, right, humongous difference in really transitioning the world to sustainable energy, right? And if a person really believes in this, where else are they going to go to make that same impact? And so, in some ways, <clears throat> um, this mission, in a way, can outlive even the CEO or founder if. A few things. First, if the mission is super strong, super specific, and super focused, right? Second, if the entire company is aligned, right, with that mission, if those qualifications and probably some other qualifications are met, that mission can actually be more powerful and can be, outlive the CEO himself or herself. And that's why, in some ways, Tesla, 10 years from now, they can still have the same mission, right, to accelerate the world's. Transition to sustainable energy, and they can still be as focused and execute the same.、Um, and that's one of the most unique things. I think that's one of the most underrated things that Elon Musk has done at Tesla, which is, in a way, you see people might say, "Oh, you know, he, he needs to rise up a, or train up another CEO. They need to be a, a backup plan in case right he goes, etc." But I think what's even better than that is actually having something even more out. Um, lasting than even、um, a person, right? Which is a mission.、Um, yeah, having a powerful, specific, right, ambitious and clear mission. This is humongously, hum just amazingly important. It's going to guide the company, and it's also going to guide the next CEO. So think about it.、Um, if Elon's out of the picture, then there's another CEO. Someone's going to step up. But in a lot of companies, their focus and their mission is just to make some money to try to increase share price. When you're looking for a CEO like that, it's like it's hard to find. You're just trying to find someone who will 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 make the means or just、um, the end justifies the means. Meaning they will try to make money and just try to make it happen. And that's not necessarily the most inspiring of CEOs. What Tesla has, because their mission will outlive Elon Musk in some ways, the next CEO will be someone I think who will embody that mission. Because the mission is so strong, the board knows exactly who they need to look for. Someone who embodies the mission of Tesla to accelerate the world to sustainable energy, and already there are many people inside Tesla who are very capable people. They're you know Tesla has some of the most smartest engineers in the world, and they already believe in what Tesla is doing. And I think for Tesla to find new management, new CEO, they can look within their ranks and promote right the most capable person in that. Now, if you look at SpaceX. SpaceX also has a very similar, but I would say a different, but very focused and specific mission, which is to、um, establish a self-sustaining civilization on Mars. And so, because this mission is so specific, and this is kind of the amazing thing about Elon, you'd think that SpaceX is completely reliant on Elon, and it's true to some extent. Meaning, Elon provides so much of that focus and ambition. And drive and leadership to SpaceX, along with many of the other people in in SpaceX. However, because the mission that Elon has set is so specific, and because Elon has set a foundation 
already of uh, reusable rockets because already a huge milestone has been has been met. Of course, if there are more milestones that are met, the easier it is to for the company to go on without Elon. I think one of the biggest milestones is going to be Starlink because Starlink is the key to revenue, future revenue for SpaceX. If Elon can build Starlink and can get it profitable and growing, then you, SpaceX has a cash cow. They've got a, a unlimited, in a sense, funding right source that can help them um, uh, provide and fund their future efforts with SpaceX. And so even without Elon, as long as right, SpaceX has certain foundational elements in that, they still have their mission. And sure, they might be delayed without Elon in some ways, but um, I actually think that um, yeah, SpaceX will be able to continue right their mission um, to uh, form a self-sustaining civilization in Mars. Um, in a lot of ways, I think um, without Elon, um, Tesla will be different in some ways because Elon brings a lot of personality. He brings his character and a lot of things to Tesla. But in a lot of ways, Tesla will be the same company in the same in this in the sense of their mission will be the same. And as long as Tesla remains to the to their mission and their products that they have set the foundation for, I think they have huge markets of growth for many years to come. For example, the vehicles, the batteries, the autonomous driving, the the the, the factories, etc. Personally, um, Let's talk about what would I do, let's say, in a situation where, let's say, um, Elon's health deteriorates and he dies. Personally, I probably would keep, and this is stream of consciousness, what I'm thinking out loud right now at this moment. Personally, I would probably keep my investments in Tesla as is, even if you know Elon dies. And the reason is a few things. First, as I've shared in this kind of live stream, kind of uh, initial talk here, um, I think what Elon has set up in terms of the mission of Tesla and the foundation you know, pieces of Tesla are underrated. And I still think Tesla is actually a decent um, and a pretty great, actually, investment, even um, without Elon. Now, that said, I don't think it's, it'll appreciate as much if Elon was in the picture. And because of that, probably over time, over the long term, I probably would be more I probably would be more open to diversifying my investments from Tesla into other great investments, meaning I keep, you know, portion in Tesla, of course, um, as long as they were executing well, but I'd be also increasingly more open to diversifying my investments. Um, that said, I mean, my personal situation is, is kind of uh, unique in the sense that I probably have over 95% of my liquid assets, actually, yeah, in, in Tesla, in Tesla stock. And so I'm very heavily weighted in Tesla. And most of it is because you know, I was able to buy an outsized, let's say, portion of Tesla early on when, you know, stock price is very low and I was able to keep the vast majority of my shares. And so um, I'm not in a rush to sell. I'm not in a rush to realize capital gains and pay a bunch of taxes either. And I'm really um, seeing that, yeah, if, if I'm able to invest in a generational company, a company that has, you know, amazing futures and amazing markets, right, I will hold on. And I think even without Elon, um, there, I still hold on, but it would be to a lesser extent. Overall, I wish Elon the best. Um, yeah, I, I hope and pray for his full recovery. And I believe the chances are far greater and the probabilities are far greater that he will be fine, right? This whole situation um, likely will be that in a few weeks time, you know, he'll be fine um, and things will move on and we'll just kind of forget about this whole issue. But I'm sharing a lot of these thoughts with you guys because 
I think a lot of times people are scared to think about worst case scenarios or scenarios that, yeah, involve involve situations like death, etc. But going back to the story of my wife um, and last night, I shared some of these thoughts with my wife last night, and she was just um, overjoyed with relief because she's like, oh, okay, now I understand kind of like what would happen, you know, without Elon. And I understand your rationale of why you would hold the stock still and, you know, kind of a long-term perspective. And she's like, oh my gosh, you've got to share this with people. Just exactly what you told me, because it's going to help people to really think through, right, their thoughts. I think um, every person's situation is very different, right? Every person's risk tolerance is very different. And so everyone has to make up their own mind in what they're going to do and how they're going to approach their investments. My situation is just my situation. It's just my own personal thoughts that I, I'm sharing that, you know, um, I think that could be helpful, and especially, you know, for uh, for others who are thinking through their investments. All right, um, what I'm going to do for uh, the rest of my time here is I just want to take a few questions before I sign off. And if you can go ahead and you can type in question colon and you can ask a question and I'll go ahead and um, try to address uh, some of the questions that you guys might have. Um, it could be about this topic or if you're wanting to talk about other stuff, that's fine too. Um, before we do that, um, a few things is um, upcoming this next week um, on Monday, um, I have an interview planned with the CEO of Lemonade, Daniel Schreiber. And um, they recently had a Q3 um, earnings report that came out and I'm gonna be talking with the CEO trying to really get into his mind and really look at what's the essence of, let's say, Lemonade Insurance as a company. What is their true competitive advantage? And a lot of times I've seen some interviews and they just don't really go in depth, you know? They just like, just ask a question, move on, ask a question, move on. And it's like, um, what I'm looking for more is like, hey, let's go more in depth. Let's ask, but really try to understand, right? At a more basic and essential level. Um, all right, so we're going to go ahead and, and uh, take some questions from some folks here. So James Pham says, how much of your Tesla position will you sell if Starlink goes IPO? Um, great question. Um, I'm still uh, researching Starlink. I've had um, some great people offer to join my research team for Starlink. Um, I've got about 30 people or 40 people so far. I've, I'm going to be reaching out to them. I'm kind of creating a collaboration site, a website. Um, that's going to help us kind of bring together some research. And there's some topics I'm wanting to go into more. Now the question is like, well, how much of my Tesla will I sell for Starlink? Um, here's the thing, going Starlink is not really diversifying against right the risk to Elon, meaning right, it's similar in terms of without Elon in the picture, you know, there's risk to Tesla and there's risk to SpaceX and to Starlink, like executional risk. And so that's something to think about that I, that I think about as well when I think about the Starlink um, thing. Um, I'm still debating. Um, I have some questions about um, if I want to um, uh, invest uh, pre-IPO in, in SpaceX um, via star, um, via um, uh, secondary shares. So, so there's a few secondary markets out there. You have to be an accredited investor pay a minimum amount and there's certain like fees involved and some of these fees are quite high so i'm still debating about that um, and what the right timing would be for that so i'm looking into that um, but yeah i think starlink um, i would have to it also would have to depend on the, the price that starlink ipos at right if it goes ipo 
and how much um, I would be wanting to um, buy into it. A couple other companies I'm um, anxiously waiting for IPO is Stripe. Stripe is like one of these companies I'm just dying to see IPO. I've been following it for a while. I don't have the numbers on this company, but um, I, I really think that this company has great potential. Uh, my only fear is that it'll IPO at such a high price, like over $100 billion market cap, and it's going to be kind of carried away, kind of like a snowflake uh, type of situation, uh, their IPO. But we'll see. And another IPO is I'm, I'm just curious about is um, Airbnb's IPO. I'm not sure and clear about Airbnb in the future, but um, I want to look at their S1 filing, their IPO filing, because that's going to um, um, that's going to determine a lot about you know what I understand and can view about the company for um, Airbnb. But most importantly, like it, you know, I'm looking for these really amazing generational companies. I want to look at, I want to invest in companies that 10 years from now, it's like, I'm going, hey, that, that was one of the companies that defined this last decade, right? That was one of the companies that really infiltrated into culture and products and services um, and just, you know, expanded like crazy, right? And I, um, those are the companies that I want to I want to invest in and, and that I'm most interested in. All right, um, come for your soup says, did you get your Starlink set up? So yeah, I set up my Starlink, but it's not working because I contacted Starlink support. And they're saying it's pretty much geofence. It's only working it's supposed to work at your service address and the address that. I signed up for when I was signing up for beta, I was up in the Pacific Northwest in Idaho um, a few months ago. And I was trying to, I was wanting to try it out then, but I didn't get that beta then. And so, yeah, if I want to try it out, it seems I have to go up there uh, to Idaho. So I'm trying to figure out what to do, you know, um, with that. All right. Uh, Jordan says, if you, I understand you have, you have an outsized position in Tesla, are you adding to that position? Um, yeah, I think my problem is um, twofold. One is my position in Tesla is like, is, is quite large in the sense of um, I don't have um, a meaningful, let's say, revenue and income that would significantly add to that position. Meaning, uh, my my kind of take on my Tesla, and it has been for many years, is kind of like um, with my business early on, we we made enough to save, and we put you know, pretty much all of it into Tesla early on when it was, you know, pretty uh, low. And I felt like, you know, um, yeah, I felt like that was kind of like the end of a chapter and I wanted to see another chapter, which would be, hey, I want to look for another 10x, you know, investment, et cetera. And so, yeah, I'm looking actually um, not necessarily to build my Tesla position because I felt like I kind of overextended my Tesla position in the past, meaning I was kind of leveraged. They were actually like, a good three years where I was, uh, I had some margin on on Tesla because I was I had exercised long term calls um, on Tesla, and I didn't want to pay taxes, and so I kind of you know made some big bets in the past where I kind of took a larger position than I you know had had felt comfortable with, and um, that all worked out well for me. Um, but yeah, all of that is kind of background to say that. Um, for me in my situation just to hold tesla would be like an amazing thing i my actually i wrote i did a video called tesla exit plan and my plan was to sell a few percent every year um and and depending on the, the price of the stock but also to kind of focus my efforts on on um, new kind of large outsized opportunities and stuff and such um, and that's one of the reasons why you know i'm constantly on the lookout for great companies like let's say airbnb or stripe etc all right um 
All right. Um, Merbek uh, Safanov says, can you share your portfolio? Yeah, um, it's basically, I mean, 95% Tesla. Um, I, do, I do have actually, um, I diversified somewhat into a group about 15 other stocks um, back in like March or April of this year during kind of the whole COVID dip. And um, all those stocks have done well. And I'm kind of, um, I'll probably just share them. You know, I've shared throughout my videos some of the stocks I've, I've purchased. But um, yeah, I don't have the same conviction in those stocks as I do with a company like Tesla. But some of them are actually quite interesting. And some of them I'm still like researching, for example, like a lemonade or even a square that I talk about sometimes. Uh, Wyburn says, do you feel that Tesla has a succession product roadmap that is independent of Elon? Yeah, here's the thing. Because when you have, you're a company that has such a specific and focused mission, the succession plans are actually a lot easier because you can pick the right people that just match that mission, right? Um, and I think it's going to be internally. They'll just pick people that are ready in position to, 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 to step up. And the product, product roadmap, yeah. Um, if you would have told me two years ago, like, you know, what would happen if Elon was out of the picture right now, I'd be like, yeah, it's, uh, it's dicey or it's tricky. But um, so much has happened over the past two or three years where Tesla has really reached reach breakout points with a lot of their products. For example, you have the Model 3 and Model Y, right? It's like breakout, like they they finally did it, right? They, they got the ramp down, they mastered the product, they're getting margins to increase and and they're able to lower the price increase demand um with batteries right they had this breakthrough where it's like boom we have all of our improvements right we were able to package it get a, a pilot roadrunner line up and running right and so they had this breakthrough moment it's just all just in the past couple of years right then you had autonomous driving right you had the plans in place and and you had the ambition in place, but I think like just with this whole rewrite, um, with just Tesla pushing through, Tesla I think recently, especially with their beta rollout, has had this breakthrough moment with autonomous driving, right? So you, you have, in a sense, the glacier analogy I give, you have kind of like most of the, the iceberg underwater that Tesla's been building. And if it would have been, you know, three or four years ago, that iceberg might have not been able to be fully formed without Elon. Like Elon plays a crucial role at that. But I think over the past you know, few years, the iceberg actually has now been fully formed in many different product areas and now is breaking out. And now you're seeing the surface of the iceberg pop up with vehicles, with solar roof, with battery technology, with autonomous driving, with factories, et cetera. And that's why I'm saying like, yeah, their product roadmap is not what you just see. It's also the underpinnings. It's what you see which you don't see under the water, that takes many, many years, right, of, of development and investment. And that's what Tesla has that um, is going to take them, right, for the next five or 10 years, if not longer, um, as long as Tesla, of course, executes uh, loyally to their mission. Yeah, these are some great questions. Um, um, Yeah, David Banesh says, do you think Tesla will reach $10 trillion market cap without Elon? You know, that's a, a trick question because, okay, first, like, by when, right? Like, are we talking about in 100 years or in 10 years, right? Um, I'm assuming you're, you're talking more like in a 10-year, you know, time frame, maybe, maybe like 15 years. Um, yeah, I think, um, in my opinion, like, Tesla, it all depends on, I think, the next CEO. Like, the CEO does have a a very big influence in a company like Tesla. I mean, of course, the mission 
can be bigger than the CEO in some ways, but the CEO kind of needs to embody that and execute that mission. And so who knows, we might be surprised, you know, with the next CEO. Um, and there are a few people that, you know, I think are decent candidates um, for that, that could do actually a pretty good job, right? Like, you know, people think about Apple with, you know, Tim Cook succeeding, Steve Jobs, and Tim Cook bringing kind of more about operational expertise and letting others, right, kind of handle more products, etc. Um, I think like, in some ways, yeah, like, there could be some type of possibility of having you know, a different type of CEO that excels in different ways. And that could surprise us. And that Wall Street could actually like, actually like that type of CEO as well. So I'm not going to say like $10 trillion, let's say 10 or 20 years out is not a possibility. Like who knows what is possible. But I do think like by 2030, I don't personally, I don't see, you know, Tesla at $10 trillion by 2030. I think um, that's going to be very, very uh, ambitious, even with Elon to, you know, to reach that type of market cap. I mean, look at Elon's, uh, um, uh, CEO compensation plan in 2018. That's his own expectations of basically um, around the trillion dollar market cap by 2028. I'm sure it could go higher, but and I think it, it it will with Elon. You know, continue to execute, but he has more realistic, I think, expectations with um, with valuation. All right, Big Daddy. Uh, actually, oh, Chang Hun Sao says, how do you? Think about Chinese EV stocks like Xpeng and Neo. Um, I think yeah, if you look at the competition for just vehicles, like not autonomous driving, like what Xpeng and Neo are doing are is quite remarkable in some senses. Like they've got these lower price type of EVs that have high performance. Um, they're building brand and loyalty. And in some ways, a lot of ways, like, you know, these customers in China, they are picky customers. They're not going to, you know, just buy an expensive, like, car that's a dud. Um, and so for Neo and Xpeng to, to be selling cars, right, and to be pushing forward their new products and their product roadmap um, is impressive. Um, my concern, I think, with Neo and uh, Xpeng um, is more of the, the ability to do due diligence on those type of companies and the market without let's say being on the ground there meaning there's a challenge with foreign companies especially in china where it's like the culture is different and the regulations are different and a lot of things operate very differently and because of that you know it's you don't get the full transparency as you would do with a u.s company for example they're just um i did a whole video on this um if you look back into one of my videos called Luckin Coffee, um, that was a Chinese company that basically went belly up um, because, yeah, the culture is different. It's just not as transparent as you expect in, a, let's say, a Western country. And so those things are caution signs. And they're not necessarily signs where I think it, you shouldn't invest in Chinese companies. Like, for example, I have like, yeah, I think I have like four or five uh, positions in Chinese companies. Um, but they're not huge positions. They're very small positions in companies I think, you know, have growth potential in China, but I'm not going to like do an outside position in that, in a company, unless I really, really know and understand that company. And so, yeah, I'm not, and that's just my personal preference, right? I'm not one just to make kind of big bets on things I don't really understand or really know about. So those are kind of my, my two cents. And I'd love to actually, uh, uh, dig deeper into Neo and Xpeng. And I'd love to have someone who knows like really, really what's going on in the China market, who's on the ground, right, in China, um, 
interacting with these owners. Like that's probably the most important thing. It's like, if you're invested in NEO, I want to know, hey, how many NEO owners have you talked with, right? If you're invested in XPeng, how many XPeng owners have you talked with? Like people driving the car and have you asked them like what's the advantage, disadvantages on Tesla? And that's kind of just my personal bent. Like if I was invested or looking to invest in these companies, I'd be talking to all, the, all like as many car owners, right? That own Neo and X-Men cars as possible, right? And I wouldn't stop at just like 10 or 15 owners. I would be like really, um, really uh, going deep into this. All right, I want to address this. Eric uh, Perez says, uh, Dave, do you actually believe Elon is going to die? Otherwise, this whole debacle is clickbait. Yeah, so I think this is interesting because it's kind of like people think that, you know, um, certain risks are so low that you shouldn't talk about or is kind of you're making it sensational. And I actually want to actually push back on this because this is the opposite of clickbait in a sense. I mean, what I'm talking about is essential in investing. Like if you can't face the risk of perhaps one of the most significant and involved CEOs, right, in a company possibly dying because, yeah, he does have or possibly does have, let's say, a COVID positive test result. And there are, and him dying is a possibility. I'm not going to say it's a high possibility. And I made that preface in the beginning that it's a very low possibility. But even with that, it's like that low possibility, it's something that if you're heavily invested in a company that you take seriously. And I think if you close your eyes and put your head in the ground and say, I don't want to talk about it because it's too sensational or whatever, it's like what you're doing is you're, you're covering up this fear that's just there all the time and you're anxious. And that's why a lot of people have so much anxiety over their investments because they're not facing their fears of their investments. Like for example, yesterday, last night when my mom, or my, my mom, when my wife asked me about, you know, uh, Elon and the news, and she seemed really concerned, I could have told her, I said, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Like, you know, don't even think about the worst case, you know, let's move on. And she could have just passed it off. But inside that fear would have still been, been there. And the fear is like a source of anxiety. And that anxiety leads to irrational, I say, kind of like, moves that are emotional, emotional decisions in the future. And that's why I think it's extremely important that when you have fears regarding investments and concerns regarding investments that you face them head on as very serious, even if they're small uh, risk factors, still you face them as very serious risk factors and you dive deeply into it, trying to analyze it for what it is, tr not trying to discount it completely away. If you notice, like when I'm talking about the possibility of Elon, um, dying, even though it's a small possibility, I'm not discounting it all the way. I'm not discounting the impact of his, of him passing either. I'm saying it's a very complicated situation, but to understand that situation is to kind of unpack the fear so that the fear can be overcome and you can accept the reality of that risk. There's a reality of the risk of Elon dying and to accept that you need to face it. And I think this, I mean, this whole attitude of, oh, it's just clickbait if you talk about Elon dying, that to me is complete antithetical to kind of my whole approach of doing complete due diligence, the due, the due diligence that you need to do, right, to to really feel comfortable for a stock. Um, so, any, yeah, I'm going to push back on this because, um, yeah, this topic, I think, is, is, is so crucial. And it's one of the reasons, like, I think why, for example, let's say the whole attitude I have is actually going and attacking the fears with objectivity is one of the reasons why, like for example, my wife and I were able to hold the vast majority of our Tesla shares throughout many, many years and many, many ups and downs is because, um, 
yeah, to be kind of detached from that emotional part of it, the an- anxious part of investing. And I think um, the psych- psychological aspects are immensely important um, to deal with. So yeah, anyways, uh, yeah, that's just my two cents on, um, <laughs> on this issue. I think it's actually more important than what people realize. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, here, here's the question I was looking for before. I said, uh, who would control Elon's voting shares? Um, yeah, Elon uh, has a trust and he's already probably in his trust determined who those shares go to. And so whoever owns those shares would you know, end up voting, whether it be, you know, if it goes to his children, then it would be the guardians, right, of his children or whoever, right, um, is taking care of those shares while um, the kids grow. Uh, Swen Olive says, is Tesla going to profit from COVID vaccine? Actually, Elon said like this is a tiny, tiny, it won't probably be meaningful um, revenue for the the vaccine, the, um, I think the machinery that they're making. Uh, question, are you concerned about uh, software rewrite and Dojo being signs of trouble ahead? Um, no, actually, I think this is great. I mean, with software, you're always going to be reiterating and pivoting and changing. Like, this is just the reality of software. And, you know, you're, you're solving a problem and then, hey, more problems come up or the technology changes, right? You're able to do more than you could than before and you can solve bigger problems. And so you're going to uh, look at, the problem with different angles. I think actually software rewrite and Dojo are actually positive signs that Tesla is adapting and they're continuing to push the envelope uh, to solve autonomous driving. I don't see anyone in autonomous driving that is doing as much um, as Tesla is and with the approach that they're doing either. Um, Sajib says, how do you measure the risk uh, of Tesla with too much dependency on Elon? Yeah, I, I talked a lot about that in the earlier parts of my video where I talk about the, the importance of mission, right? Specific focus mission, not to discount Elon's role completely, but say, hey, Elon plays an immensely huge, important role in Tesla, but the mission and the specific focus that it gives um, is underrated. And that's what's going to carry Tesla, right? Even in the case, in an unfortunate case, that let's say Elon is not in the picture um, as well. Okay, Martin Molden says, Arc thinks ride hailing will be the first step to autonomous taxis. Don't you think Tesla's owner, Tesla owners are affluent and will not do ride hailing in their spare time? So yeah, it's like, um, I think this was addressed actually in the last conference call where they're like, hey, why don't you do an interim network, right? Where drivers actually drive the cars and pick up people. Um, or, you know, Tesla could do like a Turo type of rental network, et cetera. I think Elon's uh, preference was, he was saying, hey, I prefer to kind of wait for this autonomous driving to to, to come to fruition, to to really, you know, launch a network based off of that. And I think uh, a few things on this. First off, I think Elon thinks that autonomous driving is coming sooner than most people think, right? He's starting to see like, hey, this is really a solvable problem. We're on the right track. This whole software rewrite this whole, like, they've done camera fusion, right? All the cameras are now constructing, right? The same type of scene. 
um, he's seen the progression of kind of labeling and dojo is like kind of like this breakthrough moment I think where they're gonna have enough computing power to to supercharge their training to supercharge their labeling to really improve the speed of improvements and so for Elon he's like hey we're just on the cusp you know we're right about to have breakthrough with this autonomous driving let's wait let's focus on that before getting into like a messy human driven business right of human dry, uh, ride healing right and I kind of actually prefer that right I think people underestimate the complexity of Uber and Lyft and these ride healing networks and dealing with human drivers like dealing with human drivers is immensely complex um, and yeah for Tesla to go head deep into that it's like uh, they really need to um, uh, know what they're doing all right Seth Millsos do you view Starlink as a greater investment opportunity than Tesla and if not is that just based on valuation at IPO? Yeah, I think um, a few things with um, with this question on Starlink. Um, it all depends on the valuation, right? And that's where, where the market cap, the market capitalization really matters. Like um, uh, back in the day, you know, when I first got into Tesla, Tesla was $3.5 billion in market cap. And like, that's a great deal, you know? I mean, it's like, it's, like when you look at Tesla at $400 billion, I mean, sure, when the stock price is going up, 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 everyone's all chanting, chanting Tesla, Tesla going to the moon. And you think it's a great deal because it's continuing to go up. But it doesn't necessarily have to continue to go up, right? Especially at that moment or in the short term. And, you know, you have to look at the market cap, right? It, this is a $400 billion company, right? Um, and yeah, to do another $400 billion in market cap, that's $800 billion. And there needs to be some... A growth in revenue and also expectations right for for investors to to push high multiples for a company like this if you look at starlink you have to look at the multiples involved right now or the, the valuation right involved and if you look at starlink right now starlink is under spacex and spacex has a 50 billion dollar market cap valuation and so that means starlink is being valued less than 50 billion dollars but probably maybe half of that right of SpaceX valuation might be starting or even maybe less than half. So I think at, uh, if you were to say, hey, you can get in at Starlink at a 10 or $20 billion valuation, I'd be like, oh my gosh. Like to me, that's way better than Tesla at 400 billion. Because Tesla at 400 billion, it goes up to 4 trillion in 10 years, right? In a super amazing, great case situation. I mean, you'll have some people say it goes higher, but if you look at you know the, the general scenarios, right? It could go higher, it could go lower. But let's say even a great scenario of 10x, like Starlink, if you, you know, look at it, if a 10 or $20 billion valuation, if you look at the revenues that they're going to get and the income, right, in 10 years, they could be having a net income of, let's say, $20 billion. You'd give it like a 40 multiple, that's $800 billion. If you had a $10 billion valuation, that's an 80x, right? So basically, 80x is better than 10x or even 40x, right, if it's a $20 initial $20 billion initial valuation. And so a lot of it is just how much appreciation, right, is in store for a company ahead. And it depends on the valuation, right? If SpaceX comes out at $100 billion, or Starlink comes out at $100 billion, then it's it could be less appealing than Tesla. And so when I look at these two companies, yeah, a lot of it is how much do I foresee their uh, market cap appreciating in the future and compared to their price right now. And also, it's also kind of, you have to add in the risk factor, right? Which company is more risky? Um, and all of that comes into play when you're when I'm looking at both companies at all.
Okay, Trent um, says, um, how can Elon prioritize retail investors for Starlink IPO? Um, yeah, I think there are different ways, um, but I think one of the ways is somehow when they go IPO, they need to have a first stage where they kind of invite retail investors to sign up uh, to buy IP IPO stock or have some type of restriction that you know the first shares or a certain amount of shares can only be bought by retail shareholders, maybe only by Tesla holders or something like that. And there could, probably will have to be some restriction of how many shares right, each person can have. Um, I go into more detail in my Starlink, a deep dive video that I did about a week or so ago. Question, uh, Perfectly Uncomfortable says, what is your career in Dave and what uh, made you decide to start this channel? Yeah, um, so the past 13 years, or actually past 12 years, I've been running um, a software company. Um, we've got about, it's a small software company, five or six people. Um, we do, we've been doing um, uh, iOS, Android web stuff. I'm not a developer, let's say, by background, but I'm able to to manage my team, uh, give a direction, and um, but it's been a great type of opportunity for me because I like learning a lot, and it's given me opportunity to to learn. Um, in the early days, it was more profitable than it is now, and thus it gave capital to invest. Um, and um, yeah, that's kind of my background, but. I think uh, through the years, I've been trying to find more ways to to give back and to help more people than, let's say, just my immediate surroundings. And so um, last year, I've been thinking a lot about just kind of what if I died myself? And this is actually why, you know, a topic like this, I can talk comfortably with because I spent a lot of time um, facing my own, you know, eminent, let's say in a sense, whether it be, in a few years or whether it be in 30 or 40 years, I have no idea, but my pending and imminent death, I was able to kind of come to grips with that, but not just that, really examine like, what do I want to be doing, right? Um, because <clears throat> early on, even with Tesla, like f um, finances wasn't really a, a big concern. We had some extra income from some passive income, um, and so actually Tesla was actually just additional. And so it wasn't necessarily like um, we had a lot of financial type of, um, I guess, um, burdens to carry and we needed to invest in all this stuff. But it was more like, you know, investing was always a, a means to, to see what we can do more with it, right? Beyond the, the finances, beyond the assets. And so... <clears throat> Last year when I was kind of coming to grips with like, hey, yeah, who knows what, what can happen. Um, I really wanted to like leave something for my kids because I felt like there are so few resources and people out there really trying to think critically and clearly about lots of things in the world. And if, if I'm gone, like my kids will have my wife who, who has done an amazing job and has like, in terms of her thinking and her ability to, to clearly kind of objectively see things, she's like made amazing progress over the, since I've been married to her for probably 13 years or so. Um, but I'm like, you know, there's no one I could really wholeheartedly suggest for them to like read about, read their books or to watch their YouTube channels or listen to them per se, or who can teach them enough to really, um, know how to think clearly and see the world more accurately and objectively. And so 
that's when I'm like, you know, I've got to put down in video form kind of what I'm thinking, what I'm, how I'm looking at things and try to help them build a foundation to see things more clearly. Um, because I, I'm like, if I don't do that, it's just the chances are they, they follow, you know, social media, follow news, follow friends. They get just swept away by the crowd. They get all emotional and just, it just becomes a path where you lose, I think, your true independence. And so for the sake of, you know, my kids, I'm like, um, I need to put down not just a little bit because I had done a little bit of recording of audio recordings um, to my kids early on. Um, they're still very young, but addressed to them, you know, so I did about 10 or 15 hours of audio recording. I'm like, oh, that's not enough. You know, I think I need to do like hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours of really just dissecting just whatever comes, you know, and trying to build that foundation for my kids um, while I still have time, while I still have the opportunity. But if I could actually do that also for other people, so I can like do it also in front of other people, then it could really help others as well. And so that's kind of, you know, what I decided to do with the whole YouTube thing, which is like, in some ways, like, you know, my, my passion for to build kind of legacy and to build what I think is the most valuable and most crucial tools for people in terms of, you know, how they think and how they're able to understand the world and to see things clearly. Um, and that kind of desire of th that I have to, to pass that on to my kids more than money. Like for me, I'd rather pass on clear thinking than, than all the money in the world to my kids. Um, but also that desire to, to help others with that, you know, to help others with that, to build that ability to think clearly. Um, th that's where the kind of the genesis of this YouTube channel comes from. And investment is an awesome topic because I love actually investment um, as a topic because I think it's one of those areas where if you can think clearly and think independently from the herd and you have the right traits where you hustle, you research, you really get down to the nitty gritty and to the things under the surface, you have an amazing outsized advantage in the investment world. And like a lot of times I feel like, hey, I, sh I wish I could share the gains that you know I've had in my own portfolio, but my wife and I, we do have some privacy concerns. Um, but yeah, the gains are truly mind boggling. You know, um, when like you take the advantages of thinking on your own and uh, taking some risk, but calculated right risks, um, investing is just fascinating because I think in a way it's, it's one of those fields that it immensely rewards those who are against the flow, but are accurate, right? Um, yeah, if you haven't checked out, check out uh, the video um, I did with Emmett. He's more short-term. Emmett Peppers, did I did this video, one to 30 million in one year. But he's a more short-term focused. Um, he does have a mix of somewhat, but it's like, um, um, I think a lot of times, uh, yeah, the clear thinking um, skills are not appreciated enough. And um, yeah, I prefer more a bit of a long-term kind of company analysis focus, but the gains are, are truly amazing. And it just justifies in a way the the value that that I already know that clear thinking, right? Objective thinking, um, independent thinking already has. And so that's kind of the context. And that's why I think in some ways, like on YouTube, like I don't really view other channels as competition or um, that's why I love having actually all these people on my channel. Like, like um, it's fantastic, right? For, because I'm looking for something else. Like I, it's not really that the topic is the topic, but I'm really trying to pry beneath the surface of things, right? Trying to build, um, 
a foundation of how to look at things objectively. Um, another reason why I think, um, like for example, I've been talking about Bitcoin a bit and um, Bitcoin is important because I think you need to learn how to think through it. You need to look at it from different points of view. And, and it's concerning when you have a lot of people who aren't thinking clearly about it, right? And I don't care whether or not you're bullish or bearish on it, at least like, you know, the ability to think independently and clearly is an immense, um, immense valuable skill. Um, yeah, underrated completely. And um, that's kind of uh, what drives me on this channel um, to do what I'm doing. All right, uh, Song says, Dave, all that recording and lectures you create for your children most likely not come to expectation. I'm not sure what that means, but um, <laughs> yeah, even if my kids don't appreciate it, um, who knows, you know, they will make their own decisions of whether to watch or not watch, you know, my videos or whatever. But, you know, as long as there's other people as well who, let's say, benefit, uh, grow a foundation of, of uh, objective and more clear thinking, um, I think that's great. Uh, Martin says, Muldoon, do you think the first application of autonomous driving will be semi-trucks? These are large highway miles, which Tesla has almost mastered. Um, yeah, I think um, semi-trucks are largely actually dependent on these 4680 cells because that's what you know, these semi-trucks need to get to get that energy density and the cost down. And so we know that, you know, next there, I already think these, these semi-trucks are, you know, they're being tested on the road. Um, it's a, kind of a no-brainer for Tesla because it's all about the, the costs of shipping things from point A to point B. And so electric is cheaper and then further autonomous will be cheaper. And so, yeah, I think it's just a matter of time of when Tesla will be able to scale these semi-trucks. And already, like, full self-driving, if you look at it, if you, and watch my video with James Dalma, like, Tesla's pace of improvement is, is going to be very fast, you know? I would think by the end of next year, um, this full self-driving on streets will actually be quite good. I'm not sure exactly what, you know, level or how it compares to humans, but I think it would surprise a lot of people. And so I think um, it's more of a blended approach. They, they will go, you know, they will apply autonomous driving to whatever cars they have out, um, including the semi as a ramp. But yeah, they're, they're going to be able to... Um, um, yeah, go with um, uh, autonomous driving in their other cars as well. Um, Eric Parr says, Hi Dave, perhaps an irrelevant question from the Tesla topic, but among the list of books you recommended, which one would be a great one to start for a young beginner investor like me? Yeah, you know, I kind of, I'm a little bit hesitant to recommend investing books because, um, and this is kind of, you're not going to probably hear this on any other channel, any other, I know this is just kind of out of the blue, out of the box. A lot of times when you've, you follow investment books, investment folks, they say, hey, look what happened. I, you know, made all this money, follow what I did, right? I did X, Y, and Z. I did long-term investing, I did index fund investing, I did this type of invest growth investing or whatever. And so you start to, to follow this formula or this pattern that people have laid out, right, for you. And in some ways I get it, right? Because hey, you're new to the topic, you need to formulate some principles and some ideas of how to master, let's say this topic. But on the flip side, let's look at it more from like a, I wanna say first principle, but from more of a basic kind of essential point of view. Let's strip away all of the, the details of what investing, what people think investing is. And let's look at what real true investing really is, okay? And then let's build from there what you need to do to get that skill. What is true investing? True investing is, is seeing basically unrealized value. And what I mean by that is 
you see value where it's not valued by other people. And the thing that you see value in, you're convinced that other people will see value for that later. It just isn't realized yet. And so in a way, it's an underappreciated asset. If you take it a different way, you're kind of looking for assets that are real, true, amazingly precious and growing valuable assets that are yet scorned and despised by others or kind of ignored or ridiculed in a way, right? Or just completely like minimized, right? Like all of these things like in a way is kind of the core of what I think, um, how I view investing personally. But how do you get the skills to be able to pick up and identify like unrealized value? Like how do you get the skills to pick up like this company is like worth mega money, but nobody is realizing or very few people are even thinking about it or understanding it. And I think when you look at the core thing of this, it's about first you need to value, you need to be an expert at like understanding what gives value, like if a company is valuable or not. Um, or if anything is valuable or not, right? It's not just companies. Like you need to be able to value stuff just in general. And a lot of the skills like to value stuff, I think um, can be built in unconventional ways too. Like one example is like, you know, just as a hobby, like, you know, I've gone through like uh, probably like, I don't know, a few thousand open houses, right? Uh, with real estate and, and it's like a hobby and I don't do it as much more recently in the past few years, but it's like to have a, a sense of kind of markets and how people value, right. Residences, but also commercial too. So there was a period, um, a decade ago where I was like going through just like, you know, dozens and dozens of commercial listings and properties, calling up all these brokers, getting all these like, you know, uh, income statements for all these commercial properties. And I was just going through like hundreds and hundreds of these commercial properties and income statements, like every month, calling all these brokers, looking at thousands of listings on commercial properties, because I'm trying to gauge a sense of how to value, right, an asset. But first, I need to know like how other people are valuing, right, commercial real estate and different types of commercial real estates in different areas. That's going to give me a sense of like, okay, I now have a sense of how to value something, let's say like commercial real estate or residential. So I know when I see something that's ridiculously underpriced, I understand like what that value is. I, I'm an expert in spotting unrealized value, right? And so um, going back to this whole thing of like, hey, so what book do you recommend for investing? I think um, a lot of the things is like, um, one of the books I, I recommend first is this book, uh, Common Stocks, Uncommon Profits. And the reason why I recommend this book is by uh, Philip Fisher. He's one of the kind of most renowned investors in the, in the past century. And he actually comes up with a few principles that I think are timeless that have been ignored by conventional um, investing. And, I, and it's mind boggling to me how some of these principles have been ignored so long and how people are so just obstinate against common sense. And I think part of it is like people are so steeped in the culture of kind of this more formal investing, like you need to trust your your financial advisor, or you need to, you know, media portrays certain companies a certain way, and, and there's a culture in terms of like uh, the types of, you know, investing you do, right? Index fund investing, all this stuff. 
what Philip Fisher does in his book, Common Stocks, Uncommon Profits, he lays down a few principles that are just like so obvious, but yet so counter uh, investment culture that, um, yeah, that I think that it's just um, uh, a great book. One example is he talks about this concept of, of understanding the product of the company to the point where like you need to get on the ground. I think he calls it like scuttlebutt or something, but you need to get on the ground data and information about that company's products. Meaning whatever company you're invested in, you need to go to the people that are using that product. If you're not using it yourself, you know, and you need to start talking with these people and get on the ground and like get down on the street where the people are just, you know, just chatting. Like it's kind of like, kind of like you know what people are talking about behind the scenes like and really get to the mindset of the buyer like what other companies like are in that same space and what about this company makes it so special or this product and how much better is this product or do they see another company another product coming up and it's just so obvious that it's like that's what you do like a company is based on the product the company lives and dies on this product why don't you go and really find out how good the product is and the way you go and find out how good the product is is you use the product but not just that you go to the people who are buying it or using it and making a decision about it and you go deep you can do a deep dive with that right that's just one of the many principles he talks about but like yeah that's where like you know um i think a lot of people if they start reading investment books they start to be, think that they're an expert or that they know what all these experts talk about and like how to spot good investments. But in a lot of ways, they miss the essence of true investing, which is finding, you know, these true unrealized gems, right? Um, uh, pearls of great price. And they miss out on that, the essence. And so, um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, um, um, I'm hoping actually my kids will learn investing, you know, not just in in finances, but also investing in relationships, investing in health, investing in making an impact, et cetera. Um, I think they're all correlated, but my hope is that my, my kids will be able to learn a lot of that through watching, you know, videos like this, understanding the values, the approach and making it kind of a mission themselves to own those skills, to own those, that ability to, to spot things that, you know, other people just aren't seeing and to value that skill, you know, of independent thinking and um, independent um, analysis. All right, uh, we'll do one more question and then we'll wrap up uh, this live stream. I wanna thank you guys for, for joining in. Um, Rich Moose says, Dave, where do you search and identify the companies that are interesting or worth looking into? Um, the first thing I do um, when I have a company that you know is on my radar, is I will usually check, like, I go to Yahoo Finance, I check their summary, say, okay, this is what the company does, right? This takes a minute. And then I'll do, um, like, maybe a quick search on just on their financial statements, just looking quickly in Yahoo Finance, looking at their income, their balance sheet, et cetera. I might look at the technicals on their charts. All this just takes, you know, several minutes. And then what I'll do is I'll jump to their website, and I'll, I, always go to their investor relations section on their website. And I'm looking for two things. One is I'm looking for any events, presentations that they've done, like company reports um, they've done at investor conferences. And usually they'll have like some slides, a deck. And um, 
I'm looking for that. And second, I'm looking for their quarterly and annual reports, right? Those are the two main things I'm looking for. Now, the investor presentations, what I'm doing is these investor presentations are much more biased than the annual and quarterly reports. The annual and quarterly reports, they're giving more objective type of like stuff that they don't want to share sometimes, but they have to share, but it's more dense. Sometimes it's harder to pick up exactly everything that's going on. These event kind of presentation uh, PDFs that they, they, they post on their websites and probably 70% or 80% of the companies do that is they present the bull case for this stock by the company. Right. And that's what, what I think you need to go to first. I don't want to look at the bull case of some random person on whatever site or YouTube channel or whatever. It's like, who cares? Like, I want to see what this company is excited about themselves, like what the founder is excited about. So I go, I look at the presentation and, and, all throughout when I'm looking at the presentation, I'm like trying to decipher the accuracy and the depth. And in a way, kind of like, it's kind of a little bit, it's a little tricky because I'm trying to basically analyze like how deep and how true um, and how significant the things that they are doing are, right? So I'm looking at their market. I'm looking at the product they have. I'm looking at their approach, their competitive advantage. I'm looking at their business model, the finances. Like, does it make sense? What are their margins, right? What are their growth prospects going forward? What, what's their competition, et cetera? And I'm looking at that, of course, all with a grain of salt that this is the company's best foot forward. This is, you know, the company's kind of like, you know, attempt to convince people. And then what I'll do is I'll flip over to the annual report and quarterly reports, and I'll go through them to now get a fuller picture. And when I do this, I'm reading extremely fast. And this is kind of one of the things is like, why I think kind of reading fast. I've done two videos so far, which I think are, are very, very important, but I'm able to read very quickly these like annual reports and these quarterly reports. And I'm going to the, to the places I, you know, to try to understand this company, to understand its business model and its finances and its growth prospects. Now, after that, like, what I'm doing is I'm, I have decisions to make after that point, right? At one point, it's like, well, it doesn't look too great, right? It's kind of so-so business model. I'm not too excited about the product, et cetera. That's one option. And it could be like, hey, I'll revisit it later. Maybe I'll put the stock on my you know, watch list in my app. Another response might be, hey, this, kind of, this, this company is kind of interesting, right? It's got some potential. I want to figure out more about this. And then what I'll, what I'll do is I'll go and I'll search out interviews by that CEO or that management company, right? And what I'm doing is I'm trying to find out as much about how that CEO thinks and how that's what that CEO wants to do with that company. And I'm watching, you know, just a bunch of stuff, articles, interviews, YouTube videos, et cetera, on that CEO. Um, and one of the things that, you know, um, and one of the reasons why I'm doing this is because with investing, and this is kind of like another thing I've been thinking about that I don't think people, much, many people are are talking about is is with technology with the internet etc it's giving certain companies outsized potential outsized possibilities meaning like you have a facebook dominating social media huge company completely outsized right or youtube or you have you know amazon with e-commerce etc sure there are second and third place winners etc but something about the the power of technology and the internet it's kind of unequal in its distribution 
and in its allocation of power. It seems like in a way, the more network effects you have, the more customers you have, the more kind of revenue you have, the more investments you make, right? You have certain advantages. And that's where I don't really buy into the idea where, A, you know, um, and this is kind of where I differ with a lot of people. Some people are like, hey, genomics, spread out your bets, right? In a, in a type of index fund, mutual fund type of thing with lots of different genomic stocks because how do you know how to pick the big winner in genomics, right? And for me, that doesn't really make intuitive sense. Like, I understand the reasoning, right? It's like, oh, the whole field is going to grow, so therefore spread out your bets and, you know, bet on five or ten of the companies that you think might grow. But for me, it's like, I'm like, no, that's not how it works, you know? Like, when I look at things, look, look at the hedge fund industry, or um, I want to say hedge fund, look at the venture capital industry, they make most of their money from like just these one or two big bets, like the Instagram, the Google event, or just certain companies that just grow big that make up like majority of their, their profits. And that's like, in a way makes more sense where what I'm looking for in an industry is not like a company good enough. Like what I'm looking for in an industry is, is a company that's like dominant. Like I'm looking for that breakout winner, that, that company that's just going to eat up right? The rest, because they're just executing so much better. The product is so much better. They've got this whole like, you know, virtuous cycle of just, you know, more customers, more revenue, more investments. And, and they really hit on something and they're going to be dominant in the future. Those are the companies I'm looking for, but those companies usually don't come out of uh, above average CEOs, like above average CEOs, run those other companies that kind of struggle for third place, right? And try to eat up the crumbs. Like in some ways, the companies that are dominant are run by these kind of, in some ways, quirky CEOs. I don't say quirky, but a little bit of these CEOs who who kind of are, um, I say, I won't say unbalanced, but I won't say pathological either, but I would say in a way hyper-focused, right? These CEOs don't necessarily have like the best well-rounded, you know, like balance of life, balance work life, all this stuff. Like it's not necessarily that these CEOs are just kind of like hyper-focused on like, they've got some type of wiring in their brain, like, you know, um, that really see the opportunity for the opportunity for what it is. And they go for it because it just makes complete sense to them and they do it at all costs. And it's just so clear to them. It's more clear to them than anyone else. And they're just like on a different level of clarity and thinking regarding that opportunity and what they're going to do to seize that opportunity. I mean, it's true for like a lot of these like outsized gains. Like if you look at, you know, the Gates of the world, the Bezos, you know, Musk's, all these guys, like, like there's, they're hyper-focused, right? It's, it's, it's not, they're, it's not necessarily the, the most pleasant CEO to be around, you know, like, to chat about anything, but they see that opportunity so in a different way. And in a way, the economic system and the world of technology and capitalism that we live in today tend to reward not just the companies that are the first place and who really excel, but it actually also rewards the leaders, the founders and CEOs that are in a way hyper-focused, hyper-energetic, hyper-ambitious. Like, 10 times more ambitious than anyone else out there, right? In a way, our capitalist and system and our, the technology revolutions are happening before our eyes rewards those types of uh, founder CEOs and those type of companies. And that's why I'm not like, 
when I hear about this whole diversification approach of like spread out your bets, you know, all this stuff, I'm like, huh, it kind of goes against the grain of what I intuitively understand. And I see in terms of, you know, the, the incongruous kind of the um, advantage and power that technology and the markets and capitalism is giving to those who are dominant, who are hyper ambitious. So anyways, I'm looking for that, right? I'm looking for hyper ambition, hyper execution, right? On a different level. And I want to be super impressed by that CEO. I don't want to be just slightly impressed, right? So anyways, I'll go through those steps and then I'll continue to go like research more, you know, look back at the annual reports, look back at stuff, look back at interviews. I want to focus on first source right their company the ceo and later on i might go to second source like look at you know what other people might be analyzing or how they might be viewing it but it plays a much secondary role because um yeah i I, i'm not a big believer in chasing what other people are 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 excited about per se like you know yeah it's just and why they're excited about it i just the the field of investing it just isn't that easy i don't look at it like it's like it's one of the most difficult skills to have to spot that unrealized gain. And the reason why it's unrealized is because the vast majority of people are, are minimizing it or overlooking it or are ignoring it. And it's not because they're dumb or stupid. It's not people generally are, you know, they have competency, you know, education, right? They're ignoring it because of certain, maybe more ingrained cultural beliefs or they're ignoring the opportunity because they're believing something else that's that they, accrue more value to for example a more solid opportunity or some other approach right and so in that sense to be able to spot these unrealized gains i think a lot of times you need to have from the ground a different like value system a different approach to viewing things in general that's going to give you that advantage if you don't you're going to look at it more typically like how other people look at it right um and you're at a disadvantage and this is like the fantastic thing about investing the more ingrained you are with the ways of society and culture, the more disadvantage or at a disadvantage you are to really making outsized gains with investing. Now, I'm not going to say you're not going to be able to keep track with the market. Just invest in an index fund, right? Or like, yeah, I mean, invest in some like, you know, uh, innovation index, like mutual fund type of, you know, ETF or whatever. You might, you know, outperform the market, et cetera. But I'm talking about really, you know, really just outdoing the market. Like, um, to, to really have like 10x or 100x gains, like, yeah, the more ingrained, the more you are a follower, the more you are compliant and obedient to the ways of society and authority, I think, you know, the less chance you have really of being a great investor. And that's why personally for me, I, I, I place an immense amount of value with my kids on raising them to have kind of this, this counterculture, this independent thinking, this kind of um, this attitude where authority is not necessarily right. And authority, it's like, you know, is, um, I want to say to have a disregard for authority, but um, to have um, an ability to see past, right? Authority, obedience, etc. cetera. Um, but anyways, I'll leave it at that. And I hope that gives you some food for thought that, um, helps plant some seeds of investing um, for you guys that hopefully um, bear some fruit in the future. I want to thank you guys for um, all tuning in 
to the live chat. And um, yeah, wish you the best. Um, have a great weekend. I'm sure um, the situation with Elon will change. I wish him the best. He might have already tweeted already about his test, but hopefully this gives you um, uh, some ideas of different angles to look at things. All right, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye.